You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 23rd of October. We've got yet another Destiny filled episode. And if you don't like that, then fuck you. We've got some other shit too, though. We'll get to that eventually. <laughs> but Destiny's important, okay, people, because it's, it's coming out tomorrow. The biggest game of the year. Yes. And <laughs> by the time this episode airs, the game will be out, hopefully running smoothly. And, uh, and people are finally able to get into it who have been waiting. So, so excitement level, Joe, where are you at? It's- Okay, there you go. <laughs> All righty. That then. was even better with the re- the echo. Oh, that was great. Oh. I felt that one in my heart, like in uh, my marrow. I've done my job then. Okay, Joe, let me ask you this. I'm curious because, again, you're the only one of us that has not been playing now. And we've been doing this podcast for now over eight years. And mm-hmm. so we've. There's a lot of games that we have been excited for and waiting for and things like that. So this is no more special than any of those other games that we were very excited for. However, because console players have been talking about it now for over a month, us especially, has that actually made it harder for you? Like, is the excitement that much higher just because you've been hearing about it nonstop for that long now? Not really, because no? I muted I muted the fuck out of everybody and have been ignoring everybody talking about it because I just want to have my own experience when I go into it for the most part. Fair I'm, not, I'm not even for us three assholes every Monday. <laughs> I tune you motherfuckers out. Like I have a deck of cards and shit that I've like. When you're talking about Destiny, unless I need to respond to something, I'm shuffling that motherfucker on mute. Well, you will be able to contribute soon. Indeed, and your solitaire scores will go in the toilet. <laughs> but yeah, but we've got some my accuracy will go up. This is true, especially on fucking PC. So we got some new news that is that has come out, and there was actually a lot of very interesting news from TwitchCon, which is the first time I fucking say that, but it's true. And that's because we had some of the devs there talking, and including uh, DJ, and we got some really cool information for what we can expect in seasons going forward, and also what the metrics have meant to like for the iron banner event so far, what that's going to mean and how they're going to sync up with the PC version. So Marty, it's all you go for it, man. So that was pretty cool. The, the TwitchCon news basically breaking destiny into four seasons, but four seasons a year. Um, and we're going to see faction rallies and, and new material coming up with each and every season. Uh, towards the end of every season, there will be a call to action so that your clan can play catch up and complete all of what needs to be completed and earn your shaders or your emblems or whatever. Um, give me one second because this is not okay. Uh, one of the ten minutes. I was recording something. <laughs> Sons of bitches! Listen, hey, hey we were waiting on you, motherfucker. I, I want to, I want to throw this out there. I appreciate Marty because it's no longer me that's late. Yeah. No, that's that's my job. I'm the weakest link and the latest motherfucker. So, all right, keep going. Um, so yeah, so now the destiny is in the hands of the live team, which is the team that brought us Rise of Iron, which will be good for some people and not for others, but we're going to get uh, major balance changes basically every three months or so updating new, new maps, new events, and also of course, new gear uh, TwitchCon. They also announced that destiny two will be going into more of a collection game mode, which right now we're not really seeing. Um, I'm seeing on, on Reddit and in some other places that people are complaining about a lack of content or a lack of incentive to play the game. This is not something that I have experienced at all. Um, but then again, maybe it's because I'm not spending 12 hours a day on the game. That's you a know. big contributing factor, I believe. I, I think so. I'm actually, I play a lot. And of the three of us, I probably play the most. And I still haven't reached the saturation point. Like, I'm still I, at a point where if I have the time, 
I actually still want to play, which is actually not good because I have some games backlog that I need to get to that I, I genuinely also want to play. But for right now, I'm still at that point and it's only going to get stronger because I'm st- I'm also very much looking forward to starting over and trying new things on the PC version. So I, I don't understand these people who've already reached that saturation point. Like, fuck, how much do you have to play? Well, I, th- I think a lot yeah. of that is the people who aren't exactly interested in engaging with the content. They just want their number to get as high as possible, and that's really their only interest. Whereas sure. I know you, you know, you're more interested in actually like seeing the missions and exploring the planets and doing a lot of the stuff that most of at least like the Reddit players aren't quite as interested in. Yeah. Except for the players in like one or two specific subreddits, which I'm going to bring part of that up in a second or two. Um, one of the things that is a letdown from TwitchCon is that there is no mention of the Halloween, which was the basically the Destiny 1 Halloween event where you would get your Ascendant Raisins uh, and you would make <laughs> celery sticks with peanut butter and Ascendant Raisins. Uh, there's actually uh, a piece of burned celery that you can find in one of Cade's stashes. Uh, really? Yes. And I believe the flavor text is we will some of us will never recover from the loss of the tower. <laughs> uh, I was hoping that this event would carry on, but I don't know if it will. Like I'm I'm guessing next, next year, yeah. Yeah, with the return of Eva Levante, because I wonder if there is and this is I'm gonna do a quick diversion. There's a a series of Guimar cards that talk about the future war call war cult and their people and it is strongly implied that eva levante who in destiny one you could buy stuff from that she's actually one of their uh devotees an artist from the city and if you talk to eva and you stay around for her idol banter she talks about being you know being an artist from the city and mentions lakshmi i believe once or twice so it's it's a pretty cool little thing but uh for the rest of the year and for the rest of the Destiny 2 seasons, we've got basically about 90 days. We're going to get some ice hockey, which sounds like fun. There'll be snowball you fights. Hockey. You're not getting ice hockey. hockey. You're getting hockey. What the fuck is wrong with you people? Hockey. Sorry. You live in, hold on a second. You hockey. live in a fucking hockey town. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I do. You Guess fucking what? do. God Good damn enough. it, Marty. Hockey. Of the four of us, only one of us has a valid excuse for fucking up hockey. <laughs> we can talk about hockey all we want, but there's a, a reason why people of my generation weren't super into hockey in Chicago and has to do with TV rights. Let's not talk about TV rights on this lovely show. Let's talk about uh, what we're going to see. The next big event is going to be the dawning, which is basically Destiny's version of Christmas. And it's going to be a lot of fun with new cut, with new armor. And there's some previews up on the Game Informer website that showcase what the armor sets are going to look like for hunters, warlocks, and titans. And it looks pretty cool. Uh, and Actually, it does. Did, did either of you see what appears to be almost like, like almost like a, a representation of an animal face, at least on the hunter and the titan? Especially the titan, it looks like it's a bull on front. Yeah, it does. I I can't wait to see what it actually is. I was getting like some Lord Shaxx vibes from it. Right. Oh, it looks like, yeah, they're both, they look, oh man, that's hard to see. But yeah, I see the the bull clearly on the Titan and the warlock, uh, excuse me, on the hunter. It, I think it could like be. Like uh, ram horns or something like that. Yeah. I can't wait to see it with shaders, especially oh, because then yeah. that's when you're going to see it shine. Especially those new oh. shaders. Oh, there's some really good ones that are out there, and I will end up spending some of my hard-earned uh, silver dust on those things. However, what I really want to talk about is some crazy cryptographic, weird, controversial shit going on in the Destiny uh, universe. And it's basically this. There's a team, a fire team of cryptographers playing uh, Destiny 1 and Destiny 2 that are claiming that they have cracked the the encryption that is the ve- that makes up the vex language um long story made short in the first raid in destiny which luke smith has talked about a lot as part of the foundation for destiny 2 in terms of gameplay and what they're aiming for um there's an encounter that is 
basically musically uh, developed where the cues of where you have to go, you should be wearing your headphones so you can figure out which bad guy you got to whack. Um, and they basically have used um, ciphers and music theory and some pretty crazy math to crack uh, this idea that the Vex are trying to communicate with Guardians um, and they may not be as evil as they think. Uh, there would be no... That alone is the prize that they're working towards. Um, and mm. the, like the cracking that puzzle is what it would be. And it is very controversial on, on Reddit. And one guy was like, if you're not going to follow the scientific method and show your work, I'm not going to believe you. And another guy being like, I could show you all the work, but I don't want to like play my hand. I want more people to get involved with this process. Um, and people going back and forth. And it makes the raid secrets uh, subreddit something that I actually like reading these days. So I, I have a problem with hilarious. that theory though. Like with, because ev- they've that's the same theory that they've propagated against all of the races since Destiny One has come out, like mm-hmm. and the Taken and everything else in between. It's like let's let's break down their language. Look, they're not actually evil. They're trying to warn us of us being evil. And it's like it, it's it's not a new theory. So I can understand the skepticism of folks. Oh, I totally get the skepticism of the of folks with this. And like, I, what's interesting to me is that people are are doing some heavy duty math and lifting to make this work. Uh, they could just be, you know, you know, grinding their gears, but it, it also, it's a fun thing to read just because they're talking about like digging into like the history of cryptography. Um, and I think that this particular uh, user seven, his ideas have a little bit more weight just because of the connection, like the connection of Alpha Loopy and how it um, is a Destiny 1 item, as uh, a chess piece for Hunters and Titans, and it was basically the foundation for Destiny 1 and a ton of marketing material, and then in Destiny 2, it's not there. And so, um, but the same Vexy kind of uh, musical notes and calls are still involved in the game, so... I mean, I also think that yeah. they might be, and, and I hate to say this because don't get me wrong, I love Destiny 1 and I, I really like Bungie, but I think people may be giving Bungie too much credit there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is definitely. I'm, I'm just going to throw yeah. that out there. They, they oh, still no, don't I know what the maybe. darkness is. This is giving them they way too much credit. They have no idea what the fucking <laughs> darkness is. Oh, I, to- I totally agree. I totally agree. Don't get me wrong. I just love the fact that these people are getting so involved and like, Either they're they've cracked the last big puzzle, or they just got their. I just have something in common with them, and that I love this game and what what they're trying oh, to do. Oh, don't, so, don't get me wrong. I yeah. think it's it's really cool that they feel that they can dive into this and kind of theory craft and whatnot. However, I find it really hard to believe that a studio that could not figure out a primary aspect of the game, the darkness characters that they really, man, we don't really know much about her. We we just kind of shoved her in there and shit like that would have developed a language. <laughs> I, I would love it if they had, but I find it very hard to believe that they did. See, I personally have a theory. I think that the whoever has got on this train went and saw the re-release in the theaters of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and that's mm. what sparked this whole thing. That's, you know what? That's totally believable. <laughs> I, I, there's a lot uh, with this, like the yeah. And there's so much to unpack with it, and I read this stuff like four different times, including the rebuttals, and I'm like, this is way beyond my paltry math and coding skills. So, uh, still, it's fun, and uh, you know, go check out the stuff, make up your mind, and see where you feel about this uh, guy's pull on destiny. So. One of the interesting things that they talked about in the TwitchCon as well was where they're going to be um, essentially retiring all of the stuff that's sold at Eververse every season, which means that if you want to be one of those characters that, you know, has a, a gear set that is somewhat unique that you can say, yeah, that's from season one kind of thing, 
you're going to want to pick those up right now. And so there's there's the different sets that you can get, and then you just basically infuse them to whatever level you want to, if you like the look of them. And that's where the new set's going to be coming from as well that they were talking about. But also the ships and speeders. That fucking ship that they showed. Oh, those ships are nuts. Oh, God, that was amazing. That was beautiful. Speeders were okay. You know, they were nice, but not it, that that one like ship one especially. Like an old World War II fighter plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the mic drop. Dude, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> I love that. You know you're going to be seeing that in fucking PvP all the time. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, so there is actually a lot of really cool stuff that's coming down the pipe also. And it is nice that... Um, we're hearing the right things from them. We are hearing that they they understand that they need to keep this world alive. So for console players now, there's going to be a period of time where they're rerunning stuff, and we're just going to have to deal with that because that's them synchronizing both console and PC together. So we're going to get a banner kind of 1.5 essentially before we get Iron Banner 2.0, which is going to be once the... um, the PCs on board and everything's synchronized up. So we're going to see some stuff again, which is fine. It's going to allow people on the console versions as well to maybe get some stuff that they didn't get the first time. They also announced how they're going to be using more of a token system versus just the random uh, aspects of the engrams to be able to buy whatever weapons are going to be available during a nine banner. And I think that's both good and bad because it it will mean there'll be less people in the Iron Banner event because people will only go until they have what they need to buy the items that they want, and then if they're not enjoying, they just won't be there. But then with enough people playing, that's not likely to be something that we even noticed. So, and that means then that you can use the tokens and buy what it is that you actually care about. Yeah, if you could, like, get the gear that you want within 10 well, I don't know. I don't, I can't even remember how many games of Iron Banner I played, like probably between 20 and 50 uh, over like a, the span of three days. So to, to, to hit my level. So I don't know. If I, they, I think it's going to be okay. If they keep it where in the, like, say the gear is random, but the weapons you can buy whichever one you want, I think that's a nice blend because then you're getting a push to continue if you're interested in that gear set. Or you can just kind of lean back and say, you know what, I got the pieces that I really cared about, the rest I don't care, so then just buy what you want uh, weapons-wise. I'm on board for that. That would be fantastic. Yeah, especially since, look at it, the the weapons are a mechanical difference over their counterparts, whereas Mm -hmm. the armor is purely cosmetic. So yeah, that's, that's probably the best way to go about it, I think. Yeah. So, anyways, there's some really cool stuff coming. We have some fantastic stuff to look forward to, both console and PC, so that's going to be awesome. We will have the second uh, feature from Marty for History 101, and so that's going to be at the end of the episode, so make sure to stay tuned for that. Now let's talk about the craziest fucking game I've heard. The the, the greatest game? For a while now, (laughs) and that's saying a hell of a lot. I can't wait to play it. I, I, I will be playing this fucking game. But you got to admit, this is fucking batshit crazy in an awesome way. It's the early nominee for 2019's Game of the Year from a small little indie studio called uh, Kit Fox Games, who they've put out a couple games that I'm not familiar with, but I will be very familiar with their next uh, iteration, which is a procedurally generated uh, dungeon crawler. Whereas you're going around the dungeon, you can collect various weapons. And turns out these weapons are actually sentient. So you can fall in love and romance them because this game is called Boyfriend Dungeon. It mixes <laughs> all of the fun uh, and of like a random procedurally generated dungeon crawler of you know killing enemies and getting loot and upgrading your weapons and counterbalancing it that with okay, you you use this weapon enough, you leveled it up, that means you can go on another date <laughs> with your weapon and their personification. And then that rolls back into, you know, as you gain more affection for your weapon, that weapon then performs better in combat. Of which course it does. Is the goofiest, but somehow most sensible thing 
I think you can do with this. Like, and for Roger, one of the eligible bachelors apparently is a cat. Is oh, yeah, it? That's the other. I didn't notice that. Meow. Like you're looking at the it's it's called Boyfriend Dungeon, but uh, you know they've only actually revealed three characters and a bunch of silhouettes. One of which is most definitely a cat, but uh, it's not entirely male characters are going to be romancing. There's males, females. I'm going to assume somewhere in between some various species. I, I mean, everything's kind of in there because when you look at a traditional dating sim type game, there's like you know maybe five or six characters. From, from the little video and like they scrolling through all the silhouettes, there's going to be a lot here, which makes sense if you're doing the dungeon crawler and want a variety of weapons. Like, I, I think it's really interesting how they're taking these two radically different concepts and using what makes each of those work and then countering that with a, a mechanical or storytelling effect like in the other one. Like, I'm actually kind of shocked we haven't seen something like this before because now they look at it and I'm like, oh, of course that's a thing. It was I, I don't know about being shocked about that. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was I was a little shocked myself. <laughs> well, I was shocked when I first saw it, but the more I look at it and the more I think about it, like I said it it, it makes was inevitable. a certain kind of sense. Yeah, exactly. With with the with the resurgence in the popularity of D and D and the rise in popularity of dating sims over the last year the two were going to collide at some point like it is just going to happen so joe you in of course he's not maybe <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how mechanically sound the dungeon crawling is yeah that's actually that actually will play a bigger part of it you some whatever i don't give a shit battle axe you're my bitch let's go but like it's gonna be if, if the procedural generation and the actual like dungeon mechanics are okay i i might actually consider playing this we've done it boys fuck you got a plenty of time to decide that's actually the part that's surprising me the most 2019 holy well, i mean fuck. they're a small little studio and yeah but the amount of writing that goes into a typical dating sim with like i said with five or six characters is already you know pretty intense for an indie studio so they, if they're looking to expand upon like the traditional scope of this type of game i can see it taking a while if it's going to be voice acted and all the different you know dialogue trees and whatnot that can be very time consuming sure so but 2019 doesn't strike me as too odd yeah but don't announce it now you're not a triple a studio announcing well actually this is getting well, more attention than fucking triple a games this is actually a smart play on their part right if they go kickstarter route yes not only that but even if they needed if they need distribution if they need uh if they run into a part where they need to get more money or anything like that they have now the social capital to go back and say look at the buzz just the announcement of a trailer and a game name has caused and that was tricky it was that was a chance that they took luckily it mm -hmm. paid off in my opinion so best of luck to them yeah so they go back to their investor and the investor says oh i'm not sure i want to give you another hundred thousand dollars like hold on they click a button and they release the announcement of you know the next weapon slash boyfriend and, and watch. see how many retweets yeah. it gets and like there you go that's how much interest there is in this game it's yeah i'm, I'm with you there all right Okay, let's move on from there. We got another leak that came out. This one fucking awesome based on yet another novel that we'd be looking forward to to reading. So, Joe, I'm going to let you tackle this because you're the one that's playing right now, obviously, and you've got <laughs> the most experience with gauging because there's so much cryptography going on here in terms of what we can expect. But she did say kind of when and where to a certain degree we can expect this novel to take place. Oh, well, they, they were pretty, there's a blurb already like for it. And it's, this is from Christy Golden and it is the next Warcraft novel and it's called Before the Storm. And it time frame, it's going to take place after the events of Shadow of Argus. So it's after everything that happens in the game right now and what happens before the next expansion. That's kind of important because right now BlizzCon's about to happen, right? We're about to probably get the announcement of what the next expansion is going to be. You think so? Diablo's yeah. done. Overwatch, they're going to probably announce another another map and another new uh, hero or, or, or something along those lines, I'm sure. 
but with Diablo done, StarCraft story is done. You might we might get a new commander or something like that. Hearthstone, we're probably gonna get the next expansion for that. And Heroes of the Storm, it what they're just gonna announce the next set of heroes. Okay, that's that's fine. But the two big ones there are gonna be Hearthstone and World of Warcraft. Those are gonna be the big things at at, at BlizzCon. And if Hearthstone, you can only cover so much in an expansion. Logic dictates that the big reveal, the big push is going to be Warcraft. I think that's what's going to happen. Now, this is where spoilers Hold on, hold on. Can you wait one second before you keep going? Why do you keep saying uh, Diablo's done? Because they pretty much flat out announced that they're done doing anything that they're going to do with Diablo 3, and they haven't done any hiring. This is speculation. Uh, Let me me preface that. Because Um, I thought still that there were enough rumors that... There's no way they've, they've there again, it, it'd be, you know, the, the odds of it are pretty slim, but the potential of an announcement, at least of a D4, not, not any serious already, kind of anything, they, but they flat out said that there's not going to be no D4 news. There's yeah, going to the, be no the rumors I've heard said at best, we might get another DLC character for. D4. Yeah, they, they flat out said on social media and through various other means, as well as the Q and a, that happened not too long ago, there will be no Diablo news at BlizzCon. Okay. Hmm. So, and with the, and the other things like, and again, just on the speculation, the team has been shuffled around and downsized and either moved to other projects or gone to a smaller scope with a new director. That makes it seem like they're looking at what they're going to do for the next Diablo stuff, which is probably just in the planning phases now. And I'm going to bet that we're probably not going to hear anything until next year. Next year, I would say Diablo for sure. So I think Warcraft's going to be the big thing, especially coming off the success of Legion. Legion has been arguably one of their most successful uh, expansions that they've released, period. Um, in terms how, of... Re- how are you measuring that? In recurrent players, uh, concurrent players, returning players. Uh, I thought they well weren't releasing reception. those numbers, though, anymore. If you look... Again, this is anecdotal for for a lot of it, but the interest that I've seen generated in this compared to Mists and compared to uh, Warlords of of Faelor, um, (laughs) it's been really, really high. The other thing that I'm judging this on is also some metrics that I've been looking at for fan site stuff, and it has ticked up exponentially and stayed relatively high. And those are metrics I can judge off of. So those don't do well when content isn't being consumed by players, right? Because players don't have an interest in it as much if they're not actually in the world. So that's my guess is that this has probably been to be their this has probably been their banner expansion. Now, the interesting thing too, and this is where I'm gonna get into the spoilers just a little bit. Um, so I don't know if any, like Marty, you're new to this. I know Vince and Roger generally don't give a shit, but do you care about spoilers? Um, no, not really. Not this okay. case. So patch 7.3 is out. We're getting ready to go and fight Sargeras and take on an entire, like a, a Titan world soul. That, that is our end game. Um, part of this, there are two really, really big reveals that happen at the end of this, this, 7.3 basically 7.3.2 which is when the raid releases and everything happens the titans aren't dead like we thought they were their souls were actually harvested by sargeras they're being tortured and trying to be twisted into a new pantheon this also includes argus having a world soul which is how he fuels the burning legion and he uses the titan world soul and the ability of creation from that world soul to make the legion essentially everlasting at the end of the encounters we free the titans kinda um but we have to imprison sargeras so the titans sacrifice themselves and the world soul of argus in order to do this but in the last moment before sargeras gets put into this eternal prison he flings his sword through the breach that illidan opened towards azeroth and causes another gaping wound in azeroth just like the the maelstrom just like the well of eternity in silithus and I think that is the setup for this novel because one of the lines that is the data mine from that is anybody who wishes to control or rule this world will be going after 
basically going for the lifeblood of this Titan because that's what happened. He opened a wound. There's lifeblood of the Titan filling out. It is another well of eternity that is open. And so we have all of that going on. And I think that's going to have to be addressed. Sylvanas has been missing from the game world. And we had this really big encounter with her and Greymane. And then she disappears. Well, her sisters are back and active. One of her long lost sisters is back, Laria. And, and I'll get into a little game spoilers after I'm done talking about the, the novel there too, but or a little speculation. But having those two sisters active and not Sylvanas seems a little weird. So the questions are where has she been and what has she been doing? And she, one of the big things about this entire expansion is she's been looking for a way to keep the Forsaken alive, essentially. And now that there's Titan blood on the planet, like that she has easy access to or easier access to, shit's about to get weird and real. And I think that's where Chrissy Golden's going to come in with this stuff. Because I think it's going to involve Jaina. I think it's going to involve... Uh, Sylvanas and I think it's going to be the returning of these characters that have sort of blipped off the face of, of the game and I think it's going to be an epic sweeping adventure that leads into the next expansion with the return of Kul Tiras, which I'll, I'll get into that in a second too um, the ultimate fate of Sylvanas and the Forsaken uh, which there's some hints in that the uh, previous written uh, Nathanos uh, short that they released there's some cool shit going on. This is going to be a heavy important. This is going to be almost as like big as the sundering as far as I'm concerned and as cryptic and tight to the chest as they've been. I expect some fucking good shit from Christian on this one. Hmm. The return of cool Taras. That's you've now piqued my interest. Let me pique your interest a little bit more, Marty, because not only does this come at a time where like, this is a, a very important leak, but in 7.3, there's been some really interesting things, data mine, things added to the game just then that haven't been there since the beginning of Legion. First of all, four new sub races or races that are in the game right now have been found. Um, Nightborn, Void Elf, Lightforge Draenei, and High Mountain Torrent. Now, that seems minor, and a lot of people are thinking, well, this is probably just them updating models or things like that. Well, Nightborn currently in the game can't equip armor. The armor that you see them with is in a weapon are completely just, that's their entire character model. The new one that was found actually goes off the updated Night Elf skeleton. So it's, hmm. they, they've done a very specific thing to rig the skeletons in a way that would be viable for playable characters. The same thing with Void Elf. The only Void Elf we've seen is Illyria so far in game where she's consumed the Void and become a Void Hunter. Well, there's three weapons found and a, a basically another Elf skin based off of, I think it's Blood Elves at this point. Very, very interesting there too because I, I think that has some telling of where the story is going to go with her. Lightforge Draenei, while we have them in game as NPCs right now, it's the same problem as the Nightborn. They can't equip gear. Like, they can't have anything on them. What you see is what you get. There's a fully rigged skins and tattoos of light available in right now in the data mine stuff. Like, you can go into the model viewer and actually do this. Same with the High Mountain Torn. The High Mountain Torn are, are, are very much what you see is what you get. It's not just, like, weird antlers and new skins. It's they've rigged the skins now to actually work as player character stuff. So I think this is also a hint that's going to be linked back to the, and the reason I bring that up, I think this is also going to play in the novel because while we've had our class story right now, that's what Legion focused on. I think the next expansion is going to focus on racial story. And I think that we're going to see more about uh, sort of how these races kind of happen because a lot of people, we haven't gotten anything for trolls. We haven't gotten anything for gnomes in forever. Um, a lot of stuff is sort of just, we've learned a lot about other races that are like these little threads that need to be like woven into something. And I think we might be getting uh, racial city type stuff that actually leads into like racial identity and redefining those. And those sub races are going to be a part of it. Now, the other thing that was data mined is Cull Tiris armor. And I'm not just talking about like a NPC model armor. We're talking player character armor. Nothing that's been in the game so far. None of this, the the seven, Seventh Legion stuff. 
legitimately named cults here and stuff. I, I think that we're going to get some exciting, exciting things happening. It, it's, it's pretty important, at least as far as if you're a WoW fan. Well, especially if you have a lot of knowledge of the Titans and what they mean to the existing lore as well and how mm-hmm. that spreads across all of the expansions thus far kind of thing. So, yeah, for, for anybody who's into that, then definitely it's going to be something that could be really fucking cool. And selfishly, I think that this is also part of the reason why they bought Christy Golden in, in-house as a Blizzard employee. It's like, we want to do this shit. How do we make it work, like, story-wise? Because she's been advising on other things besides just writing this book. Cause this book's like books don't just get done that yeah. quickly. She's been doing this particular one for a while. And so for them to bring her on board, it's like, let's see what you did and help us make sure our story makes sense. The one I, thing I, I did not check on that leak is when is the scheduled release date? May 15th, 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Which would set it, which would set it up perfectly to be a precursor to a Next late summer expansion. Yeah, that'd be cool. I, anything she fucking writes, I want to read it. So even if I'm not playing WoW at the moment, clearly I'll play <laughs> when the next expansion comes out anyway. But man, I'm still on board. I I love reading her WoW work. I just the, so I'm super excited sweet. to get into this. And the idea that she has uh, more of a hand in the way the the the, the game story yeah. goes, that excites me as well because she, and this is not just lip service. I I read a lot of books, but the way that she creates like character depth and the way that characters come alive when she writes them is absolutely phenomenal. And again, the way that she's characterized Sylvanas in the books that she's written, the way that she's characterized Jaina in the books that she's written have been phenomenal and so having her on board having a new book coming out having all of this new stuff hitting the the game as far as recent additions to the patch which is very very common but where you're getting ready to set up a next expansion by putting certain things in the current game already i i could totally see her writing those those two characters two of my favorite characters in wow into an amazing player story and i'm 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 all about this life i I, she's not replacing him. However, with Metzen gone, I can foresee a time if she stays there and really becomes the focal point when it comes to story, and that involves both story, external novels, as well as in-game stuff. I can see her becoming point on a lot of story stuff for them if they keep her. Well, if if, if Afsrabi uh, ever steps down from his current position because he's in charge of the WoW lore now, like that's his baby um, with Kosak gone to another project. I think he's on Overwatch now or it might be a Diablo. I can't remember, but he's no longer on the wild side. And with Metzen gone, I think that's it. I think that that is, I think that's what they're angling for is if, if Asrabi steps down, which is entirely possible, he's been there forever. Then she could totally just take creative control of a bunch of writers and say, Here's what we're going to do, folks. Let's go and do it. Make it fucking happen. Yeah. <laughs> Did any of you guys ever read the book Vampire of the Mists, the first Ravenloft novel? Yes. I haven't. Okay. Uh, that's the first Christy Golden novel that I ever read, and it's still among my favorite, you know, game books. It's, you know, the best, in my opinion, of the Ravenloft series, so... I'm actually dying to read some of her Star Trek stuff because she wrote a few Voyager novels and I want to see what she does with Janeway. <laughs> like, I really cool. want to see how she handles that character. So that's going to be a book that I'm picking up soon. Okay, let's move on from there. Marty, you wanted to talk about a tabletop game. And as oh. is uh, is uh, want to happen on this show, we're, we're open to that. So let me got, tell you guys about the Microsoft uh, the Microsoft, the Microscope uh, Explorer game. Uh, Microscope is, uh, well, in the spirit of full disclosure, when my tabletop get group uses it, we use uh, Microscope to do the macro building, like the history of the world that we want to play in. Um, it's a complete and total system in and of itself where it's a, a structured way of running um, a story. It's a storytelling game. Uh, whereas, you know, your D&D, your Shadowrun, um, your L5R, whatever system you want, the uh, the idea behind Microscope is that you 
build upon each other's ideas and you are telling a story consecutively. What we used it for uh, back in the day as we took, um, we decided that we're going to play a couple rounds of uh, Legend of the Five Rings. Oh, I just got a blue screen. Am I still? We can hear you. Yeah, we still we got can hear you. you. Still okay, got you. Cool. All right, cool. So I'll just keep talking. Who cares if this thing breaks? Um, we had this, uh, we decided we wanted to play L5R and then we used a microscope and just basically started building out what we wanted uh, from microscope. And the way you do it, Everybody gets to, you basically do a vision statement of the world that you want to play in. It's a one sentence story. And for us, it was like, we're going to play L5R. And then from there, we took turns saying what was going to be in the game, what wasn't going to be in the game, and talking about what time period we wanted to play in, and then building from there. And you can control characters during certain epochs. But the idea of Microscope is that you can build a world and then explore whatever events and creating um, whatever stories that you want within the world that you have built. Uh, the system itself where you play the actual microscope game, it's it's fine. Um, I prefer, you know, I prefer D&D or Fate or Savage World stuff over uh, their rule set because I feel like those rules are more dynamic. But if you just want to create your story game, Microscope is just a phenomenal way of getting to that. Um, but, you know, if you want a, a guided process for collaborative homebrew gaming, invite your gamers to the table, you come up with the world that you guys want to play in, and everybody takes a turn adding and subtracting from the world, then you decide what era in the world that you've created that you want to play in, and you focus the Microscope on that, it's a win-win situation for everyone because everybody has agreed to what is in and not in the game. And there's still a lot of wiggle room um, for those things to occur. It just depends on the creativity. So you're forced to be creative and still collaborative with everybody. Um, and this is why like, I think as a world building tool, microscope is phenomenal. Uh, we've used it two or three different times in our own group uh, of uh, development process. In fact, I, think we even used it for part of a play test for one of our other games that was probably kickstarted but in any event that is the microscope engine it basically gives you the way a way to guide a process of world creation which is just phenomenal um and collaborative which is something that sometimes uh i think gets missed out on the big boxes you know, like D&D's got 5th uh, edition uses the Forgotten Realms as its core setting. And I loved the realms, but at the same time, I would rather play in someone else's homebrew game than like dealing in the Forgotten Realms because I don't want to go to the Dale Lands. I want to go somewhere new. So I've been playing 5e since it released and I haven't done a single damn thing in the Forgotten Realms. <laughs> same, like all my shit, all my shit's been homebrew. Man, so I totally love this. The microscope is like perfect for like a solid established group, but like, and I totally get it. A new, like a 12 year old, 13 year old kid picks up this book and that's their introduction. Like all of a sudden I've got this connection to a 12 year old, you know, gamer that, cause I love the realms, but when that gamer is ready to build their own stories, I think microscope is a great way forward. So I'm actually seeing some interesting possibilities with this, uh, pairing it up with a lot of Kevin Crawford's games. Are you familiar with him? No. He's the creator of Stars Without Number. Mm -hmm. uh, that's his most famous game. Uh, they actually just kickstarted his second edition, uh, as well as a number of other games. And what he does with a lot of his games, uh, mechanically, they're super simple. Mm -hmm. And most of the game is written around actually building the world. And not like, oh, yeah, come up with these great ideas. Like, with stars without number you're playing in like a, a far off sector of the universe where humanity colonized and then got cut off from earth. So, you know, you, there's tables and rules and stuff developed for building your sector in space. Okay. Here's how many stars you have. Here's how many planets around each star, you know, support life. And like, it's, it's actually fun. Like I've created some of the game worlds and these just as like thought experiments. Uh, he has another game called Silent Legions, which is um, like Lovecraftian weird yep. science fiction. I ran a one shot in that last Halloween for my gaming group. And again, just coming he up with the, too, didn't he? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Godbound, uh, as well as other Dusts. Uh, Scarlet. I, actually, I own all of his games. I, I love the way he goes about his design. But like I said each game has a system written into it for building your world. And I don't mean like you know, super in depth. Like it's he he uses a, a system of like tags. Like okay, yeah, uh, this planet uh, it's tech level three. Uh, it's a monarchy and it's 90% human. Like, that's really all you need to know about that planet until your players want to go there. So I I can see some really interesting cross between using Crawford's, like, world-building mechanics and then using the microscope system for fleshing that out. Because it's not just world-building. Like, uh, another big thing he does in a lot of his games is, uh, like, the faction mechanic, Mm -hmm. where essentially the GM plays a solo game in between sessions of like the actual RPG for what all the NPC factions are doing where like there's actual dice being rolled. Like, yeah. It's a living world. Basically, yeah. So you, the, the, the players go and like, okay, yeah, they take out the drug cartel. Well, okay. Now there's a power vacuum. The DM goes and does his faction turn to find out which faction moves into that power vacuum or if a new one is created, stuff like that. So with the microscope system, now you can actually like go into like these events and it's it's oh my god i'm just going nuts here yeah i can hear the enthusiasm i i think this is a great tool for your toolbox vince um because actually one of the cool things there's a a small interplay uh like i said stars without number takes place like out in the far galaxy after it's been cut off from earth whereas other dust is a post-apocalyptic game that's set back on that same earth where you live through the cataclysm that cut off like the the space sectors like the, the, the psychic scream that like basically ruined Earth's entire uh, interstellar travel system and destroyed the planet. So like there there's actual like potential thousands of years of history built into those game systems that Microsoft or Microsoft. I know I did it. <laughs> that microscope would be a very cool tool to, to dive into with that. As somebody who's never used it, what kind of time frame were we looking for? Time investment, I should say, for making it work around something. As an example, let's just say we wanted to use this for, say, the world that we created in any of the campaigns that we're doing. How long could we expect it would take to actually to do that? So the last time we did it was about an hour and a half, two hours. The first time we did it, it was a little bit more. But also... Like, I'm pretty sure this is pretty common for every tabletop gamer, but sometimes uh, we go on tangents and somebody's always late. Um, given you that don't fucking tangents say. in a table game? No. <laughs> and, and my buddy lives like five minutes away, so I'm usually on time for his game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, about two two hours, I would put aside for it. It's a good, solid way of, doing, of going forward with it. That's actually um, not too bad. There's also uh, I'm also a big fan of games that have like a mechanic where the, the the storyteller or the game master can, you know, move the factions forward if there's no, uh, you know, if, if, because, you know, when I was running games, they were always doing something and sometimes it was reactive. Sometimes it didn't matter. But uh, I know my buddy Will for his uh, Project Dark game, like the inspectors or the corporations or the alien overlords are tracking you by the cards that you used in your hand um which was phenomenal and i got arrested by an inquisitor in one of his games it's not fun but hey it's a good system okay well with that said then we're going to wrap it up for this week thank you very much for joining us you can find the show notes of course at forthelore.com and you can find us on twitter at forthelore or individually joe is loader zj vince is simodian marty is officer gleason and i am zen buddhist you can also leave us your thoughts on itunes and stitcher and make sure to stay tuned for marty's second feature on the history 101 of destiny which we're very much looking forward to hearing all right take care and we will talk to you guys soon Let's get this thing started. I had a lot of work to do today. Good morning, class. First, we got some housekeeping to go through. If you got to use the bathroom, just go. You're young adults. I will treat you as such. Please come back. 
Although if you don't, it is no skin off my shiny metal ass. Secondly, some of you were very concerned about the fact that I didn't assign reading chapters. That's fine. Read everything. I don't have time to tell you what to read and what not to read. You're all going to grow up in a world that's trying to kill you, so have as much knowledge on hand as possible so you have the best ways to learn not how to die. Third, now this one's a little bit more embarrassing for the Academy, uh, but Unit ZJ's personal failing has had a serious, uh, what's the best way to, oh, reality warping, series of consequences. So by giving him the standard, you know, programmable matter gift that we always give, uh, might have been a slight oversight. Uh, guy screwed up big time, so giving um, a person who is not in touch with reality and is beginning to shift into something in an unrecognizable form of matter, this is a problem. Uh, so the Academy will be holding a pep rally later today. Uh, because literally only thoughts and prayers may be the vehicle to keep him grounded in this reality. Uh, let's move on. Before we can get into talking about the Red Legion and the threat that they posed to our species and to our planet, there's a couple other things that we got to get to. Uh, now, I have a new set of readings that will help define this. It is... Uh, on causal and acausal forms, you can find the, the feed in your notes. But let's talk about causality. Let's talk about cause and effect. Um, if I was to, let's say, fold a haptic holographic airplane and then throw it at a student who had it coming, poink, we would see cause and effect, right? One could even argue that the cause and effect started last week when you were too busy whispering to pay attention. Uh, cause the airplane, uh, cause wind resistance, effect, plonk in the head. There we go. Now, what if uh, said same student was hit in the head before I folded it? Doesn't make sense. Even though we all have seen paracausal and acausal events, seeing something just happen out of nowhere or seemingly out of nowhere is stunning to us because our brains are still wired after the intervention of the traveler. We are still wired for cause and effect type of thinking. But what if I took that same haptic airplane and when I threw it, instead of uh, it hitting somebody, we all felt the uh, building shake, and we started flying with it. That ridiculous scenario is paracausal. Acausal means effect before cause. Paracausal means beyond or parallel to causal. Uh, this is a huge concept that we need to understand. The traveler, she is paracausal. In addition to uh, being able to terraform worlds, almost overnight, she released and brought us closer to the light. Um, there is conflicting evidence about the light and where it worked with humanity in the Golden Age. But what we do know is that upon the, the, the uh, well, death of the Traveler is probably an overstatement, but in the collapse of the Traveler, she released the ghosts which turned guardians into paracausal beings. Guardians are beyond causal cause and effect, right? Uh, there is no legitimate physical particle-based reason, material reality-based reason for a guardian to be able to fly and shoot flaming bolts of a sword made of solar energy. That is paracausal. Some of the less educated would call that magic. A causal uh, would be a better example would be the Vex. Uh, they exist outside of cause and effect, uh, within cause and effect, but they can play with cause and effect. Uh, the Fallen are regular old causal beings. The Hive, for the most part, are causal beings, except for what are known as the Ascendant Hive. Ascendant Hive are those creatures that have paracausal ability. 
and they are scary, and you should run away from them if you fight them. Don't fight them, just run away. Vex are acausal, Ascendant Hive are paracausal, the Fallen are causal, and the Cabal are causal. Although, I believe the Cabal have paracausal weapons, that's why they were mining Io. A paracausal weapon would be a weapon that uh, is beyond cause and effect. This is important because wherever the Traveler goes, she encourages this kind of growth. Uh, the, f the Fallen, it's pretty well established. It's, it's a good theory, uh, first put out by the Guardian Saint-14, that the Traveler has visited other worlds. From what we can tell from the Fallen, the Traveler visited their world millennia ago and then was scared away by what they call the Whirlwind. If you see parallels between the Whirlwind and the Darkness, you are not alone. Why do we need to understand all this? And the Fallen are no longer paracausal beings because of what has happened? What are we talking about when it comes to causality? And why does it matter? It matters because the future of our species relies on paracausal beings to fight acausal, paracausal, and paracausally equipped bad guys. In short, this causality is what keeps us as a species on planet Earth. And this causality and going beyond this causality is what we need to study when it comes to the Traveler, because we have no concept of how she was made, where she comes from. And we thought we knew a lot about her, but I don't think the speaker, you know, may he rest in peace, I don't think the speaker could have even guessed that non-paracausal beings would use some sort of paracausal to acausal weapon. Specifically, we're talking about the almighty and the um, whatever force that they chained the traveler with to remove us from the light. These beings, the Cabal, did something that we thought was impossible completely within the reality of a paracausal being. In other words, they went paracausal to contain a paracausal being, but they themselves are not paracausal. They just have paracausal technology. Does that make sense? Okay, let me try it one more time if it doesn't make sense. They had big guns that fractured parts of reality and played with the very nature of reality to chain up not just the Traveler, but potentially blow up our sun. That is a bad thing. For the back half of our discussion today, though, I want to talk about what we know and don't know about the Traveler. And what we don't know fills volumes, and what we do know can fill a thimble. The Traveler... Hold on one second, hold on, hold on. One second. Oh, that's good coffee. What the Traveler is, as a paracausal being, means that she is beyond our concept of reality, even our enhanced concept of reality. And when I keep saying enhanced concept, um, who in here can tell me was the, na uh, were the, was the name of the uh, mission that discovered the Traveler? Um, Ares 1? You're right. You're way smarter than you look. Ares 1, I like to call them the first fire team. This first fire team witnessed firsthand the terraforming of Mars. And in doing so, when the Traveler came back to Earth and visited us, uh, they were all uplifted. Early 21st century humanity experienced an evolutionary growth virtually overnight. But unlike evolution, where it is passed down between generations, this happened within the population of Earth as a whole. Uh, lifespans increased, f mental faculties increased dramatically. Uh, even the uh, American astronaut points out that he was able to understand a whole new branch of physics that was started because of the Traveler, even though he was not a physicist to begin with. And he was well and healthy and young when he was 90 years old, which to us may not seem like that big of a deal, but in the 21st century, that sounds pretty fantastic, almost magical. 
But we know that's just the nature of paracausality being beyond paracausal because we are all super smart, well-educated, advanced human beings. Even if we have shiny metal butts, we're all human, right? Okay. So this is what we know of the effect of the traveler. But the cause of the traveler, we don't know. Um, what we do know, the little bit we do know, is that the outer shell of the traveler is made up of electroweak matter and neutronium. Both of these uh, concepts and both of these materials, until we saw the traveler, were thought to have been a hypothetical. Specifically, when it comes to electroweak matter, that hasn't existed uh, since the first few moments, and by moments I mean nanoseconds to picoseconds after the Big Bang, when uh, everything was very small and hot and expanding quickly. And neutronium is uh, believed to make up neutron stars, the elements compacted so tightly and so densely. Uh, but it's still breaking, is part of the paracausal system because as we have seen from other aspects of traveler shards, uh, it's not impossible to lift and to carry. This is amazing because it kind of suggests that the traveler was born or parts of the traveler has existed since the very beginning of our universe. One, there are a couple theories to suggest that the traveler was born at the time of our universe and that there is a corresponding negative force that accompanies that traveler. Uh, this was first popularized by the warlock Ulantan, who uh, was from the European Dead Zone. You can find references to the Grove of Ulantan in a variety of atlases. Don't go there. We're not taking a field trip there. I mean, it's just a dangerous place. Uh, we know more philosophically and spiritually about the Traveler than we know materially about the Traveler. Um, there's a person who believes that they went inside the Traveler and that it smells like vanilla, but that is an exo named Fenchurch who is not all there. So we can't take that personal account completely at face value. But the philosophies of light and the darkness uh, both come into play at the collapse. Um, but it is strongly suggested that the light that was in the Traveler is something that has existed uh, since the very beginning of our universe, uh, which makes us question what is the darkness and what is this force that has come after us. There's one other aspect to the Traveler that we have to quickly discuss. Wherever the Traveler goes, and as we have seen in some other research that is a little bit above your all's pay grade, um, it's called the Book of Shadows. Excuse me, the Book of Sorrows, the Book of Shadows is a totally different heretical book. But the Book of Sorrows talks of races encountered by the Hive uh, before they became ascendant completely, their leadership did, uh, where they encountered a race of beings that used cadiometric uh, weapons. Now, this is another word from ancient Greek. Well, cadio is, metric is not necessarily. But cadiometric in this context means tearing holes in reality. This is a way to fight a paracausal being with a cadiometric weapon. It is self paracausal because it is beyond regular reality, but this is in a sense given a different title because of the, the power and how it affects things. Um, this is also partly due to uh, provable by some of the works of a 20th century physicist named Burkhard Heim, who discussed about metrons as a basic particle or a basic concept of reality. In this case, the cadiometric weapon is a weapon that is designed to destroy the basic fabrics of reality. Every race encountered in the Book of Sorrows was first visited by the Traveler. Every race visited by the Traveler developed these sorts of weapons. It appears that every race encountered by the Traveler has been uplifted to fight the darkness. And every race, up until humanity, was crushed by it. I want you to leave, I want you to leave with that thought, because what's going on in our 
history is it is repeating in the sense that the traveler is awake. We don't know a lot about her. She has gifted us with these weapons to protect ourselves, but the gift uh, is not just to protect us. It's also to protect her and to push back against something that we don't understand. We don't understand our benefactor and we don't understand the foe that we are fighting. But we're in this fight. Speaking of fight, if you fight in my classroom, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. If you want to fight after class, the rule is this. Two kids enter, one kid leaves. Uh, I will turn the classroom into a Thunderdome and you can all enjoy fighting that way. Why are you looking at me? He's the one that threw the first punch. Yeah, my dad's a titan. Uh, he could have taken that punch. For next week, we will delve deeper into the Cabal from the Exclusion Zone to wrapping up our benefactor and protector in a paracausal field to separate us from the light, which we never thought possible. Until next time, class, I'm Pogue 3. Do your frickin' readings. Mm. And also, if anybody wants a free A, just buy me a cup of coffee. listening to For the Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at manellijamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.